Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. So welcome to another episode of Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. And today we're joined by David Claridge. And David served 38 years in dentistry to date as a dental technician, lab owner, and more recently in the corporate world as a product manager for intraoral scanners, covering 26 countries, no, nonetheless. Yeah. Um, he won the National Sports Technology Award for the use of disruptive technology in sports protective equipment. So good to find out a bit about that and what, what went on there. But he's now returned to the UK as the digital business director for a group of UK dental labs. And he won't mind me saying that his passion is intraoral scanners and their associated workflows as business tools. Must so have welcome, started, David. Must have started young, David, mustn't he? Very young, very young. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Welcome, love David. That. How are you? Good to see I'm you. Absolutely, I'm absolutely fantastic. I have the enthusiasm of a 20-year-old in the body of a 75-year-old. Ah, excellent, excellent. <laughs> I like it, I like it, I catch it. So could you, I mean, I'd like to ask you about that Sports Technology Award and what that mm. was, but could you just give a bit of background to yourself, where you came from and how you ended up in dentistry and you've stayed for so long? I, I have, well, where I came from, I think, I, th- I think where I came from, I think, Andy, somebody needs to have a chat to you about the birds and the bees. We can go back to there if you want. Um, <laughs> My mum and dad met many, many years ago. But let's fast forward that bit, say, let's, let's fast forward to your to your later school years. That'll be far enough. Yes. I know you don't want to remind me of those. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I got involved in dental technology because of the crashing of my later school years. <laughs> so, so, and I didn't want to stick, you know, I, I left school at 16, joined a dental practice. I was actually a patient at that practice. But there's an advert in the paper and I thought, that doesn't sound like a stiff job of just sat in an office wearing a suit all day. Little did I know, you know, five years later that it was sat in a different kind of office wearing a white coat every day, you know, but you were making stuff, which I like doing, right? So it's it's tactile, practical, you know. David, can Um, I just ask, what was the job you went for? Was it to do with labs? It was as an apprentice dental technician at the Bryce Dental Centre in Newbury. Yeah. So I started as a 16-year-old apprentice. And then probably eight years later, or what it was, I'd gone self-employed and I moved out of the Briars. Um, the great thing about being in-house is you saw people, right? Mm. So I went down and sat chairside a lot. So you're very accountable as a dental technician when you're seeing patients when you're doing real work, you know. So that was interesting, right? Um, but ultimately being in one practice, sort of straight-jacketed how much work you would receive from other practices yeah. that were seeing themselves as in competition, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so moved out, expanded a little bit, um, at a small prosthetic laboratory. I was playing rugby all through this time, right? And so another jump, probably about 10 years later, um, was ask for mouth guards, right? So I thought, well, I can't make a mouth guard because I can't take an impression. So I brought in a dentist, a friend of mine, Neil, attended Newbury Rugby Club one evening, and about 45 kids turned up with their parents, right? Saying, yes, we'll get a mouth guard made. And I thought... Wow. This is okay. You know, well, it was just, it, yeah, it was just an idea. It wasn't any forethought the opportunity. Yeah. Well, yes. So that idea then led to an opportunity, which I kind of grasped. So over the next couple of years, I basically phased out my kind of traditional lab work to the point where one Christmas I said, right, I've got to do the mouth guards or I've got to be a traditional lab, if you like. I can't do both mm. of these. I can't tell my dentist in September or in August and September and first two weeks in October, I'm out. Don't send me any more work for six weeks period because I've got to produce 8,000 mouth guards in that time, right? So, so then it became, and it was actually at that time, guys, that I realized I'm a people person. Mm. So I'd probably done my time at the bench, you know, mm. and when you went to schools, so January, February, March, I was going to predominantly uh, public schools, right, um, who either had a service already, so we had to improve on what they were getting already, you know. Um, so we took dentists into schools, made mouth guards. Over nine years, we made just short 40,000 mouth guards. Right? So I know, I, know, I know how to make a mouth guard. Right? Um, and then, so that was my career. Now, I got lucky at the end of that, and I'd had enough of that after that many years because my business was honestly made on foundations of sand, right? Because if I couldn't get those legal hands, those dentists to come out to play with at, at schools, I've got no income, right? Mm. So as it grew bigger, so did my 
worry, right? Yeah, to the point where I thought, and my wife said, is this really worth it? And I got lucky. So somebody bought it. So I got a bit of money for that business. And then I joined the corporate world. I joined 3M. And then six months later, 3M launched an intro scanner and said, well, you're, you know, you know all about the benefits of this. And I thought, this is unbelievable. Yeah, how when, did I get when, when was that? Yeah, I was going to say, when, when, was, was, that? when was that first intro well, scanner? That's about 14, 14, 15 years ago, something like that. Wow. So I've been involved in intraoral scanning for, yeah, 14, 15 years. Yeah, clunky, okay. I'd imagine. Then. It was clunky. You had to powder all the teeth, you know, and that was like, you know, oh, wow. a snowstorm. Yeah, you had to powder the surfaces because otherwise too reflective to pick up. And it was slow. <laughs> um, it, it wasn't, the systems weren't, well, here's the thing. It wasn't the system that the issue, it was all about adoption and change. Right. And we're still in that curve. We're further yeah. down that curve. I got some new revised figures yesterday, and I've, I've now really rethought re my ideas of the adoption rate of intraoral scanners in the UK now. But anyway, so I got involved in intraoral scanners back then. Um, and it was a joy to go out. But I was preaching what the future was holding. Right. And now, with some hindsight and some knowledge, if you like, from reading up. My Bible was Jeffrey Moore's book, Crossing the Chasm. And they talk all about disruptive technology and adoption rates. And the fact that you cut, it's not a given that it will go up that curve, right? That adoption curve. There's a gap in that curve. And you don't really, you must realize that the buyer's needs change. Now we're into that gap in the UK. So we've got to understand now that when you've got 15% of all dentists out there that have got scanners, mm. now 15% is a small percentage of dentists in the UK, but it's a large percentage of clinics because it's usually one scanner is being shared you know right, but yeah. anyway so back at you so if i go back in the day um you can see where my passion now is through all the pain points that i lived of the old world you know as i call it the stone age you know <laughs> when we were using gypsum all the gypsum all the, yeah thank you very much i i, I thought i thought that get more of a titter from you gentlemen but you know you never know you know some some hit some miss that's right but, we're um, listening intently but, uh, anyway oh, so so David, so, we can edit it in and post it. it's fine when, 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 oh, when we're recording chris and i will laugh really a real big belly laugh and we'll edit it in it's fine. in fact what we'll do is maybe we'll put an audience laughing <laughs> Does that work for you? So you, yeah. so you can be in front of a live in. audience or something for you. So, so what you're saying is you can introduce the clap. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's off again. Right. Back on track. Right. So, so you can see where these kind of career kind of welded. And I was very lucky to be involved in the technology. Hmm. That I thought, I get this. I really get this. But then sort of 10 years later, I'm thinking, why isn't everybody else getting hmm. this? You know, why is this still niche? The early 2%, the innovators, they grab their toys. It tends to be boys with toys. Yeah. You know, that's reality, right? Um, now, those people don't necessarily want to preach and convert others, but that's mm. the early adopters. Right? The early adopters then get hold of it, and then they want to say to other people, look what I'm doing. You should try this, right? Um, but I, I realized what we did at 3M in hindsight, reading Jeffrey Moore's book, um, because there's a thing about uh, adoption and that if you're if you have a disruptive technology, which a digital impression scanner, right, an intraoral scanner, as it called now, that's telling the dentist that what you've done for your entire career was wrong and it's now been superseded and you have to change. And then it says, why do I have to change? Because I'm not seeing that as being a pain point, you know? Why do I need to change? But anyway, so the, the theory, that, Jeffrey Moore's that theory. Point, David, yeah. the, the, the yeah. kind of the change thing, you know, that everybody says kind of the only constant is change. And there's obviously been a lot of change, but has it has it all been good? Because, you know, we, we kind of go with it and it kind of just kind of moves down the path, doesn't it? But has it genuinely all been good for the, for the profession, the change that's come? Or have we kind of taken some bits on the way with us that have perhaps moved us away from from where we were, not necessarily in a, in a good way? It's, it's, a, it's a very good point. Uh, on consideration, I suppose I'm I suppose I'm in such a niche field that all change is good, right? Mm. Because I just can't see a reason to stay with the status quo, other than your fear of of technology, mm. you know, maybe, you know, one of my 20, I've got 22 questions that I ask dentists when helping them decide which intraoral scanner to go for, right? I've got vetting questions, right? And one of them is, what is your fear? Mm. And it really opens up the whole thing. You know, another one is, how do you feel about computers? If one is 
you never touch one. Ten is you've got six on the dining room table in bits and you're, you're fiddling around with motherboards and stuff like this, right? You know, so I'm trying to uncover the reason why mm. dentists haven't mm. taken on board technology by now. I think it's all good, Andy. Yeah, on the, on yeah. the fear question, what, what what's kind of the most common answer to that question, what, they, what they're uh, fearful of? There's, there's quite a few, to be honest. Um, so only asking 22 questions can you get a real picture of what is the best scanner mm. or don't get a scanner. And mm. I'm happy to end up with that conclusion because, mm. you know, we offer a subscription model of scanners. What I don't want is a dentist say, yes, I'll have that one because they could hand it back to us after 12 months. Right. Mm. So I want to make sure that they make the right choice for them. Now, the fear, um, technology or a fear of technology comes up there. Um, equally at the top would be a fear that you're putting all your money on red mm. and, and black is going to win the day, mm. right? So it's a, it's a heavy capex investment of, let's say it's, let's, let's say it's 20 grand, right? Some are more, some are less, right? So let's say you're investing 20,000 pounds now, and they see that as a gamble. And the third thing is a nervousness to get on board with something, right? So that is very indicative of the buyer in that, adoption curve the early majority buyer needs to make sure that their hand is held with training and support they need to make sure that they're not a guinea pig right i i I alluded to the other day and somebody said yeah that's absolutely bang right i get that analogy which is like if you're coaxing you say you've got a little mouse hole right you want to see this little field mouse come out or something right so you put food out there and you coax it out right if you snap your fingers, that mouse is going to go shooting back into that hole and it won't come out for double the time, right? Mm. So if the first experience of a scanner with a dentist is a bad one, they're going to go back into their little hole and they're not yeah. going to come out yeah, for a long time. We so, used to find that, didn't we, with people who would buy high-tech equipment, oh. use it once, not be very good at it because they neither, either weren't really up for it or didn't get the training and then mm-hmm. they never used it. So you'd end up I'm in the, I remember one time, you know, some guy bought a Cerec or something and uh, he sort of used it as a very expensive coat hanger eventually. Uh, and yeah. we just said to him, why are you not actually getting training mm-hmm. and, and utilising? Because when you look at the, the financials, of people utilizing scanners and what it saves and you know money time yeah what you can yeah. generate and all that sort of stuff it is sort of a bit of a no-brainer isn't it really it, it is but they're still being purchased emotionally rather than rationally yeah yeah so you know like as most of us buy emotionally you know we put rational arguments especially if i if i want to buy something that you know i will tell my wife the the rational arguments for why i must have this i need this but i don't need it i want it yeah. right you know needs and wants they're very different things aren't they absolutely aren't they and they're interspersed you know? yeah so the technology over yeah. time has obviously changed and you're in a in a unique position where you obviously see the lab side of things but also the dental practice side of things and how's it benefited kind of both sides of that of that fence yeah so so yeah in my position i think um from from a let's say two halves to that say the clinician's version so you you know you go digital what can you immediately do different than you could do with your impressions right Mm -hmm. so intraoral scanners offer a view of the end treatment to the patient immediately look at invisalign right mm. you can show your patients and other systems do that other scanners do that i can you can take a scan of me and you can show me dr acton you could show me what my smile is going to look like at the end of treatment mm. in in a heartbeat right in two minutes right now that's what digital brings right and what's the added benefit to that is is treatment uptake you know mm. and so digital doesn't lie it's not there's a reason for the treatment because there's reason given you know, I was diagnosed with sleep apnea and the, and the screening was that was that a dentist in Northern Ireland sent me a little widget that I put on my index finger and he got the reports of my nightly activities, my interruptions. Right. And over two nights, he said, your sleep has been interrupted on average 49 times. You need to go and see a doctor. And I oh, knew. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I knew that I snored, but I didn't know it was sleep apnea and they're totally different things. So I go to the Doctor, the downside is I then get a referral to Bristol Royal Infirmary. It takes eight months, you know, on the Nash to queue up for that. But they give me a CPAP machine. I wear it at nights. I go to bed, go to bed like Jacques Cousteau, you know, with some, <laughs> you know, with this thing sort of stuck to my nose. But He's the working. energy levels, the different, massively different, massively different. 
you know. Um, so, yeah, so technology, what did it give me? It gave me evidence that I mm. didn't, you know. Um, now, I did, if you flip that onto where I was at a practice last week, in or the week before, sorry, in Ireland, and um, and this lady is uh, uh, does a lot of Invisalign with their patients, and there's a QR code on the wall, right? I said with a picture of before and after with this lady, just they just laminated a bit of A4, right? And I said, what's that? They said, I'll take a picture on your phone and then press the QR code. So I pressed the QR code, and immediately on my phone is a picture of my realigned smile, right? Wow, now. Yeah, very, no, very, thought, powerful, very powerful as well. Powerful, absolutely. Now, I have, I had, before I did that, I had no thoughts about realigning my teeth because, hey, you know, you can't gild a lily, gentlemen. Or polish a turd, as somebody said. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so so I had no thoughts of realignment of, uh, or doing any line of treatment or, you know, having any line of treatment done until I saw what my straightened teeth looked like. And I thought, Whoa, that's quite tempting. So from zero interest wow. in it yeah. to halfway down the sales process, you know, and that's what technology brings for the dentist and patient. I'll tell you, know? you what, David, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Do you, because uh, obviously you have to train them how to use it, but do you also then provide effectively the how to do the sales training to actually then uh, benefit from it because using it is a whole different thing yeah. than than selling it and turning it into an income generator isn't it absolutely right and i'm and i'm you know some there is there the ashley latters of the world could do that far far better than i ever can but i was trained as a sales coach uh, in my 3m days and so i look at it's not the, the most important thing about an intraoral scanner is the person holding it and are they getting the best out of that piece of kit and are they using it? And what does their practice workflow look like? If they got, you know, uh, Marcus White is a glowing example of how to incorporate technology you know, into a practice. And he's got a scanner in every room. But it's not it's not the scanner. The scanner's the conduit. It's yeah. his workflow. It's his therapist. It's TCOs, you know. Um, so we go in. So I go in. And I, I, I enjoy that because mm -hmm. I'm a people person. If I can help turn around. So, look, if you get this scanner, if it sits in the corner and it's not being used, don't get one. Just don't get one, you know. Mm. Um, but why, you know, I had a practice that was part of the corporate and there are five dentists and we put the scanner in on, on, on a trial basis. Two months later, nobody used it. Right. So we went in. I interviewed every dentist, every wow. nurse separately. Right. Um, with somebody from the board uh, of the corporate and um, understood. Now, everybody said, I love digital. I love digital. I said, what phone are you using? Right, an old Nokia brick, you know. So it's little indications of are you up yeah. with technology or mm. not, you know. Um, because they all said yes. And I just asked the five whys, you know, like the sales process mm. that you just keep asking why until you uncover the real reason, mm. right? And uh, they had no interest in it at all. There was one person at that practice, uh, a lady that, that left, she was a dental nurse. She'd left. She'd come back to the practice a year later and I said oh why did you leave she said I, I, wanted, I went and got a sales job and I thought well you should be utilised here you know mm. so swap the workflow around the dentist sees the patient that lady is now the treatment coordinator and the scanning room and the uptake and once we swap that around the uptake in Nash the private treatment which is what that practice wanted um, they uptake it was just short of 16 grand's worth of private treatment in the next wow. month Right? Such a such a which virtually pays your scanner. <laughs> it did pay for the scanner. It did pay yeah. for the scanner. Such yeah. a simple, such wow. a simple twist. Yeah. If if people are adaptable to change, and open. you have to be open. open. Yes, yeah. and also it's identifying it, isn't it? Because it it would have been very easy just to have said it didn't work in this mm. environment and move on to the next one. Well, our man with the ceric in the machine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because no one followed it up. It, he was the principal. He bought it. He spent the money. He never used it. He didn't yeah. like it, but he didn't really not like it. He just didn't know what yeah. to do with it. <laughs> see, I, see, I foresee a different workflow in the future. Um, is I foresee that the pain point of, of the in-house workflow for dentists traditionally, and this is a moot point, obviously, is that um, they have to become a technician in a little bit to do the design and do the software. And Now, is their time best spent doing that? Or getting over the learning, once you're over the learning curve and the software's got easier and easier, don't get me wrong, you know, but back in the day, it was an arduous task to get, you know, some years ago to get au fait with that because, you know, it's, it's like a, I liken it to a technician and clinician. I liken it to, you know, you're, you're both building a, a cat, you're building a tooth, right? You're building a crown, you're building a denture, but one's a carpenter, one's a 
you know, electrician. You're two different tasks, right? Yeah. Totally different tasks. Um, but you complement each other. Now, so what I foresee is I'm working with a lab in Belgium that are doing this, is that uh milling will be uh printing will take over from milling. This printing is an additive process. There's no wastage. You don't buy a block and then mill into a block, you know. Yeah. So it's it's That's it's better. You know, absolutely. And so you only print what you need. There's no, you know, it's not much wastage at all. Um, and they'll be able to but, print the materials hard enough. That, you know, yeah. uh, wow. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Fascinating. So, you know, you can print a denture. So you could take an intra scan. And now, traditionally, you'd send it to the lab. And we could say, you could send that scan to us in the lab, but you don't have to send it to us. We can dial into your, the software can be at your end. We can dial in and design that denture. The patient could see, because you can take a face scan as well, right? So you take an intraoral scans, face scan, put them all together. The labs then use that to design the new full, full denture, complete denture, right? Show the patients a virtual try-in of that denture, and then go straight to a, a finished product. So now, now that is doable, but that's scary for a lot of dentists. They say, you're not doing a try-in. I said, well, why do you need a try-in? Well, to validate that the bite was correct. Well, the bite in digital is correct pretty much all the time, you know? Mm. Um, so you've taken yeah, out the, the challenge. This is the challenge with change as well, isn't it? Because yes. you're, you're now, you go through a, a process where you learn to behave in a particular mm. way, which you've done yeah. for 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. And then suddenly there's a bit of technology which is disruptive, mm. that is Definitely. repeatable and accurate within a very, you know, fine degree. Um, yeah. That's almost kind of challenging your your professional approach to dentistry. Mm. So I can see one for lots of people that, it that would disturb it's, them. it's Henry Fordish, isn't it? You know, yeah. like, there's a quote from Henry Ford that says, um, if I'd have asked people what they wanted, they'd have wanted faster horses because it's sort of completely moving yeah. the whole, whole yeah. game from saying, well, actually, it's not about this. You've got to effectively trust mm. this technology is going to be better than yeah. your, 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 you've created this structure for overcoming errors that you yeah. don't need to have anymore because you won't have to overcome them. It's, so, it's fascinating. So, so from a technician's point of view, obviously things have yeah. changed dramatically over the decades. And... Sometimes, yeah, you know, I think back to when we first started work, and all of us, we didn't have email, so email wasn't available when we started work. It was letters. I'm not entirely didn't have sure. Computers, mate. Well, no, you, right? no, that's right. Yeah, well, I didn't know they still working <laughs> on the wheel. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> I was going to say letters. I, I predated those. Yeah. You know. But Cars, I, I, I'm not planes. sure that things are that much quicker. Now, with email, you know, I can send you a communication which will be within a minute. But I'm not truly sure that things are, are that much quicker. So from the technician's point of view, given all these advances in technology and, and what's available, how does it look like from their perspective? Have, have they now just got a different set of problems and challenges? It's interesting. So I... So- I had this conversation with our the heads of the family, as I call them, which are all the lab owners within our group, right? Um, and um, and like I said, it does. It? Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. I was just about to do my impression of um, uh, Marlon Brando there. You were, were you? I could, I could sense it. You were going <laughs> to something in your cheeks and off you go. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Now I know what he had. In his mouth, I know the prosthetic, how it was designed, because I know a company. I mentioned oh, their I've names. I've seen a picture of it. There was a picture of it online. Yeah. It's a it's a massive, yeah. great big contraption. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. Yeah, it's, it's not just cotton wool. No. Oh, right. Okay. No. Look at that. And also, I know I know another lab that make that make um, teeth if you like it, or special effects teeth for the movie industry, based in the UK, this lab is, right? Fascinating conversation with them when I was last over there. And they said Jack Nicholson was the Joker many years ago. He played the Joker, yeah, right? Yeah. He had yeah. this big, wide smile, yeah. right? And then he had to talk. But then when he, when, he, when he was at rest, right, when his cheeks were at rest, the big smile comes back, right? That was at repose, right? So he had elastics on his molars, right, that went outside of the mouth to behind, under the makeup, right, under the prosthetic, to behind his ears, so that those elastics would pull on the edge of his lips. Wow. When he rested and reposed, it would just pull it open, pull it up. Wow. Unbelievable, isn't it? Well, fantastic. How must that have been? You know, to sit there and, and have your face constantly contorted. Wow. But oh, I've got all sorts of stories on that that I can't say for 
you know, legal reasons, just can't name the actor, but I know an actor that was was slapped by the electrician on site because he was being a prima donna. And then everybody in that room never worked in the film industry again because they witnessed it, right? And um, yes, wow. I should yes, wow. I should consult my solicitor and mention the name and then, you yeah, know, yeah. Then yeah. Get, wait for the legal team to get involved. Anyway, have we digressed? Uh, uh, yeah, oh, but I've something following from Andy's, which I was thinking, which I think is probably bringing us back on track after that fabulous divergence, was um, <laughs> I'm assuming that all labs will have to have the ability to, to deal with the technology input from the dentist. So are there labs that still aren't able no, there to? there are labs that still so aren't. So you then got cool. that also that pushback from them saying, because they don't want to invest, they're yeah. sort of saying, oh, well, it's rubbish. So you don't want to, oh, no, you want to stay with the traditional hand carved. So, so this Because that must to- be a challenge. Yes, it is. So this goes back to adoption of disruptive technology and good old Jeffrey Moore's Bible that I read, Crossing the Chasm. And he said that when you're, when you're bringing in disruptive technology, and he looked at it as like an invasion, right? So you're invading these lands on the beach, right? Everybody that's got a vested interest in the status quo is there. They know you're coming. And they're ready to shoot you down, right? So with an intraoral scanner, that is every sales rep and every company that makes traditional impression in material is out to get you. Mm-hmm. And, and they'll do it, may do it in a softly way. And they may say, it's not quite there yet, doctor. You know, it's <laughs> the technology's coming. And they just to want to delay because they've got their annual targets, you know, uh, and stuff like that. Now, you know, I was at 3M launching the intraoral scanner and 3M Impragum and Express materials, impression materials, were a big chunk of the sales reps, you know, Targets, and I was you know, internal strife there, you know. So yes, so dental technicians, there is an inevitability about change, and once you get through change, you know, history will tell you that from the first industrial revolution, jobs were lost, but jobs changed. Yeah, it's the process of change which is the painful bit, you know, the uncertainty. Mm. So Fred in the shed, as I call it, not disparagingly at all, but Fred in the shed. Um, to keep up with the change has to make hefty investments. Mm-hmm. And that's painful. If you are a one-man band, you know, yeah. that's, a, you know. And, and also, I guess the digitization means that from a dental practice point of view, it's never been easier to access services globally because you're now yeah, sending digital fire. So yeah. if there's some really good work going on down in, say, Portugal or, or Belgium or wherever it might be, before accessing that service would have, elongated the process in terms of delivering the treatment whereas now it's just zipping around digital files you can access specialists that aren't just uk based so and that's a concern from uk lab owners Mm. is that you know work goes to china and that was always a threat but actually an intraoral scan going to china raises the threat level right Mm. because it can be anywhere in the world in two minutes you know now um I spoke to a lab owner about five or six years ago, and, and he said, I don't trust. He's the only person I've ever met that says, I don't want to work with these intraoral scans because you could be sending those anywhere in the world. They could all go to China. And then we had a chat. I said, Have you done? I, I said, I understand your threat. I, I understand that threat. You know, has that ever happened to you? And he said, no. I said, why not? If it's such a perceived threat. And he said, well, I give them a good service. My, you know, I work with local dentists and I offer shade matching. I'm there to discuss cases and we can talk about cases. So I think, you know, we talk about products in the lab world a lot and we forget actually services are massively important. And that's where the change is coming through services mm. and digital can bring you services. So why not have a lab? as a design centre. So if I started up as a dental technician today, I would just get two laptops, right? And I would offer design services for all those CEREC users that aren't doing the middle bit of designing. And I'll say, yeah. I'll do your design. You t- you tell me when the scan's coming in. I'll do the design. I'll ping it back into you and the things, uh, 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 you know, will come in. Well, they are there already, but they're not en masse, you know. So it might be that I told you about that digital workflow for dentures. So that yeah. could be a, that could be a booked-in service. Now, mm-hmm. for a dental lab to book in something is usually a pain because you react to the work that's coming in. You mm-hmm. never know. It's like throw your nets out, your van drivers go out there. You don't, what haul did we catch yesterday? Mm-hmm. And then you try and plan, oh, oh shit, we're busy, right? You know, yeah. and you never know. It's reactive, you know. Um, so it's difficult to book in work, but if you've got the capacity, and it may be that this is the lab of the future where it's booked 
So they're remote labs. They're not in-house, but they're doing what we used to do in-house, right? Um, mm. Which is be there for the patient to offer that immediate assistance. So a dentist could take a scan Monday morning, say it's booked in with me, say Monday morning. Uh, I know that there's a scan coming in at quarter past 10 from a dentist, and I'm going to do an immediate try-in to show the patient. And it's going to take me 15 minutes to do that. It's booked in with me. The patient then agrees and signs off. Then that, uh, that agreed try-in is sent to print. That printer could be in the clinic. Mm. Now, I know as I say this, dental technicians are going to hate me for saying that, you know, because that's disruptive change. But I'm not coming up with these ideas. I'm just hearing of people doing this stuff. If it's coming, it's, it's coming. coming. It's, yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't stop progress. Well, if you look at, you know, Align Technologies, their plant down in Mexico for Invisalign, as I understand, they produce a quarter of a million unique aligners every 24 hours yeah. in that plant in Mexico. Yeah. And it's just staggering mm. the way those, those numbers are. And like I you say, you can't, you can't fight against it. Mm. Um, and the opportunities that come from it are, are, are enormous. And look it's at interesting. the patient. Sorry, look at the patient. Saying, we always think, yeah. David, that dentures is a way underdeveloped part of the, the dental portfolio because people think about horrible NHS, uncomfortable, you know, slipping stuff. And we've always said, you know, if you get a good quality set of dentures made properly, then then they're actually really good and they will be cheaper than a mouthful of implants. And it it's an interesting one, is it listening to you? You sort of mm. can see the fact of that there's there's a revenue stream that maybe people haven't thought about well, because they're sort of thinking implants or lots of yeah. training, all that mm. sort of stuff, lots of surgery. And we know people that have run yeah, yeah, businesses yeah, definitely. and done really, really well, really well yes. out of a denture business. So, so the UK is the largest, you know, percentage of population of any European country uh, that are denture wearers. You know, oh. There's allegedly 8 million denture wearers out there in the UK. Now, you, you, wow. you're dead right about quality. The other thing is that they traditionally they're a pain, right? Yeah. Because it's six visits, and traditionally under the NHS, the revenue at the end of that for lab or clinician is nothing, right? And then, you know, so if we can take those six visits and go one visit for a scan, one virtual consult, one visit for a fit, and the amount of eases you have to do thereafter is clinically proven to be reduced because everything is a little bit more spot on, you know, mm, mm. Still, and it's consistent. So I think there's a market there. Now, mm. those dentures, those technicians that are then putting composite all over denture to customise it, these things look fantastic. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. David, you, you're, wow. you're in a fortunate position because you've worked all over the world, um, you know, virtually every jurisdiction that, that, that's available. Uh, from, from a UK point of view, specifically on kind of the business of dentistry side, where do we yeah. rank? You know, because you, you, you've, you know, like I say, you've worked everywhere. So are we quite sophisticated in our approach to the business side of dentistry? Are we Luddites who need to up our game? How does that No, happen? no, no. We're, 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 our, our mechanisms in business in dentistry. So there's the technology that we use. You yeah. know, I'd say we're in, in the countries that I used to cover, 26 countries, we were second behind sort of as, as a group, UK comes behind Scandinavia. But then people will argue rightly or wrongly. That's my observations, right? right yeah. Scandinavia leaves us in tech, leaves us in technology. Mm. Um, and um, then the UK, and then areas of Europe, and then the Middle East, you know. Um, and those are the countries I covered and South Africa as well. There's other things though. There's culturally, that was interesting to me. me you know, my interest is people, right? Yeah. So culturally, you know, in certain countries, cash is king. And you pay in cash or you don't. You don't take up the treatment. So there's no payment plans. There's no payment scheme. So we're quite evolved in that way in the UK. So we can help people get on board. Mm -hmm. You know, you can pay monthly, you know, subs and you're covered. You know, insurances, there there aren't there. In some of the countries I visited, it was a case of, no, we have the money or we give you, would you believe they're working in post-dated checks? Wow. Now, the issue with that is in globalization, when you've got a kind of a, yeah, when you've got a Western organization, let's call it, dealing in a, an Eastern culture, those things think don't marry, you know, because, you know, uh, you know, one culture is just totally conflicts in the way they do business together. Mm -hmm. So does that answer your question? The other thing is about people and it's about trust. Mm -hmm. And that's my biggest learn is that in the Middle East, um, yeah, I'll I tell, I tell you a quick story, right? Um, 
I did a presentation. I won't say where it is or anything like that, but uh, I, I did a presentation over in the Middle East somewhere. Right? And, and I thought it went okay, and it was great. And, and the owner of the company we were dealing with, he said, Mr. David, Mr. David, that was a fantastic presentation. Um, I have Professor so-and-so from the university that has some questions. And, I, and the professor said, you know, thank you. Welcome to our country. Is this the first time you've been here? I said, yes, it is. Um, yeah, and it's lovely, and it's so historic. And I, you know, I hope to spend a day on the end of my trip, blah, blah, blah. I said, so how can I? help you sir you know and that's all i said right a nice open friendly way you know body language is all in line and everything like that and he there was a brief glimpse of a sort of flicker of, of it looked like confusion to me and i thought what did i say wrong then right um and then the owner after we had a conversation which went perfectly fine he asked some questions about how do we do this that and the other with the scanners and stuff so and then the owner said mr david i need to speak to you right and he took me to one side and he said mr david you are you know he said i've worked in the uk and he said i know you're doing nothing wrong but this isn't you know but it's different over here and then he told me this analogy right and he said he said it's all about trust he said you are talking about business too early he said you must remember he said that every man over here does not trust the other man because he thinks the other person is going to steal from them. And he says, so we have to spend a long time. Here's a punchline coming, right? We have to spend a long time gaining the trust of that other man. Only when we are certain we have gained his trust, then we steal from him. <laughs> so, so anyway so so there's there's a hit squad coming for me now and yeah, yeah. and i thought and i laughed as you did yeah. you said, no 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 mr david i'm serious. serious yeah and wow. i've corroborated that over various countries and cultures and everyone's yeah more, more or less yeah so that's there's a, a different culture that's that sales training we did that's that would be called premature recommendation yes yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Are you still suffering from that? Yeah. So, so it always <laughs> yeah. makes me laugh. Whenever we used to train our managers, it would always bring a giggle. Yeah. So, and, so, and, if, so if we yeah. look out, if we look out into the future, and we we yeah. kind of go ten years out from where we are now. Yeah. What, what the heck's it going to look like? Because right. you started, you know, warming up wax. Yeah, yeah, to go and yeah. now we're using digital workflows and digital technology which means you can send a scan anywhere in the world and, and get it back to you and it can be built on a printer so where where do we go in 10 years from now what does what does that look like I, I, I think I, I think I think it follows. So you know, you guys know about four IR, you know, fourth industrial revolution. Mm. You know, um, and so what do they talk about? They talk about sort of um, you know, let's trans translate it into dentistry: a local scan, right? Remote design local production mm. so there could be an element of the element of in-house production with only for certain things you know dental technicians are still needed but there will be an element of if we talk about digital dentures you know why aren't they just printed they can be printed now you can mm. do that now so they're printed but the dentist doesn't want to be a technician so the technician will be there will be design centers they're they're there already but i think that will change and that threatens the industry somewhat mm. the, the traditional you know um so they'll become smile consultants or something yeah yeah you know and so i think it would be about services but i think if you look at services these things won't be apps necessarily connected to internal scanners they'll be on your phone Mm. You know, and 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 the new normal, or whatever, or we've reverted to a normal. Let's say because it's not new normal anymore; it's normal, isn't it? Yeah. Whether it's changed or not is another thing. But change was kind of forced upon the industry in certain ways, mm. you know. And I did see one one question in the middle of the COVID thing last year, right? And um, one question online: a dentist said, "When we open up, how do we know that our lab work is?" clean for a better word right not contaminated and then and they all had a there was a big debate that i was watching this unfurl and they basically said that well, the only way you can um control that is if it's all in-house you know so it doesn't leave this room so the scan doesn't leave this a scan to a lab is clean isn't it it's mm. digital file yeah. right so it's not van drivers picking up work and stuff like that mm. now whether that influences change massive change on the industry i mean i've been charged with one of my challenges by my our investors is to say what does a dental lab look like in 10 years we want to make it happen in five right, mm. with our labs yeah. group right and that really is challenging you know uh exciting i find that exciting yeah. other people at the, the other side of the fence find that you know yeah. rightly, and like you say scary. quite often technology yeah. 
you know, um, is way ahead of what is acceptable to people as well. Always, you know, the things that, that can be done with AI and things like that, they can't unleash it on, on the general population because it would just overwhelm people. And, and if we go back that, to that, yeah, and if I go back just to finish off what I'd say earlier about the adoption of technology, and it's like you're, you're hitting the shore, right? And everybody there that's got a vested interest in not, you know, allowing that to get uh, mainframe sort of thing, is against you. Now, so what do you do? So you have to go in round the flanks, right? And you go in with things that traditional methods could not do. Mm -hmm. So that's why there's there's thousands of ITRO scanners out there for Invisalign. Because you can't show the patients their immediate smile in the same appointment. And that's changed through the COVID. You know, we don't want to bring a patient into a dental chair for a consult, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you want that to be the treatment. And, hmm. and Marcus does that brilliantly. You know, when he sees a patient, it's the start of treatment yeah. because everything's happened elsewhere. And whether that's remotely or not hmm. you know, is, an, is a moot point. But um, it's fascinating. Uh, it is. Uh, how it moves on. Fascinating. And like you say, it's, it's, it's great to be able to talk to you because you've got such experience and you've seen so many changes. Now, your thoughts on the future. I think are well worth listening to because you've seen these mm. changes come and okay, not none of us could have got a crystal ball, but it's quite good to get your insights in terms of where it's going because for the people who want to lead the way, they can start bringing about those changes within their own business now. Mm. Yeah. You don't have the clinical hangups. Yes. No, absolutely. And, and, and it's taking a pace now, right? Yeah. You've got that snowball, you know, um, you've got that critical mass now because yeah. the early majority, the nervous people are looking, around thinking well, everybody else has got one of these I need, I need to get one of these I, I think I think that's the key I did a I did a, uh, a webinar for um, Dense Plus Serona and I said I think one of the biggest changes is the fact of um, patients are going to expect you to have it because other people have yeah. it so you've got to have part of the technological halo because if you don't they'll go and find someone else who does? Yeah, and I think that's even whether you, if you don't believe in it or don't want to adopt it, the danger is that your patients will believe in it and adopt it. And if you don't adopt it, you're left behind, aren't you? you, you it, well, I don't yeah. believe that. Well, that's great because no one's coming to you. <laughs> they've gone no, to they've absolutely. gone to Samita down the road. Who's got it? <laughs> you know, and look at Invisalign. You know, D to C. You know, direct to customer branding and ad. Advertising, and I remember way back watching what was it? I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And in the middle of the advert, suddenly there's Invisalign advert, and I thought, Christ, they're going on mainstream TV now. And so you go and find a dentist. Yeah, that's right. There's a yeah. dentist, but then you've got the momentum. You've got patients coming at you saying, "I want this treatment." Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. The argument yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So maybe the future is that a patient could go to a scanning center, right, and that's run absolutely by the right professionally qualified person, you know, and to do that. But those, they're just taken scans. And then the patient could be given options on aligners, cosmetic treatment, what their bleaching would look like, because you can change the shade. And yep. then they say, okay, I want that done. Well, here's the list of the surrounding mm -hmm. dentists that can give you that treatment, you know? So I've given all my eggs away now, haven't I? No, 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 no. And uh, where's the crowdfunding page that we can set up? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. No, well, good I've, stuff. Got, it's, it's very I've good got badges to feed, gentlemen. You know, I've got, oh, you know, I've got to yeah. make it. Yeah. Very good stuff. You know. But we, we always finish up with a couple of questions, David. So we always ask, right. if you could be in a, a certain situation, if you could be a fly on the wall in a certain right. situation with you know, in a room, where would that be and who, who would be in there? What, what would you love to well, be the Andy, who would you choose? What would be your choice? Um, if we're like-minded, I, I think I would like to have been in the in the dressing room um, at half time of the Champions League final uh, when Manchester United were playing, and they ultimately went on to to win the cup. Because I think, from a people management point of view, Alex Ferguson is one of the most incredible people managers out there. I just right. can't imagine how you could herd a bunch of late teens, early 20s who have everything done for them and harness them in a way to get a particular result. And I'd love to listen to what he said to those people at half time that produced the result that it got. Because I think 
from a people management point of view, that would just be fascinating to hear what 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 he said to get those those guys. Mm, yeah. so sure, I, I, I'm interested in sports performance. We the mouth guards we used to do. We used to go to a school where Johnny Wilkinson went, right? right. And I was, I was talking to one of the teachers, and they, and they uh, from the local girls public school and they were friends family friends and they said little johnny when he was sort of eight nine ten years old he wouldn't be dropped off at a party he's sort of stay with his parent right so shy and introverted from 10 to 18 and at 18 he's kicking conversions in front of seventy thousand people at twickenham if you could bottle what that is and sell that you make fortune anyway I've digressed again so my thinking about where i'd like to be a fly on the wall i'm interested in music and i've got my little digital recording studio and i've recorded hundreds of instantly forgettable tunes gentlemen right and so i've heard some of them yeah, you can't remember them though, can you? You just know you heard them, you see? Uh, anyway, so Beats I am... for Badgers, I think, is one of them. Yes, yeah, that's what I'm going into. Yeah, it's a different, it's a different genre. But, um, and um, so I'm interested in recording. And and I followed the Beatles story, right? Read up on it. And, and uh, I, yeah, it's not just the music. I thought the whole thing, mm. the whole fact that how did, say, they become hyper globally you know boomed there was all sorts of things you know like you know nobody's going nobody's doing national service it was the boom years you know everything fell into place right anyway i would like to be a fly on the wall in abbey road studio two when they were recording i've been to studio two and it's it's like hairs on the back of my neck stood up right i'm going there again in that month's time for a little tour right um when they were recording Strawberry Fields Forever, because I think that was the oh, wow. perfect, Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane was a double A side, right? I think that was the best single of all time, personally, right? Strawberry Fields Forever, it was recorded and they did two versions of it and they were in different tempos and different keys. And Lennon then decided uh, that he wanted a bit from the first recording and a bit from the second recording. And George Martin said, that's impossible. They're different songs. like you know, They're in different keys, they're different tempos. And he said, you can sort it. You know, So I would like to be on the wall in that room when they were recording, when there was a penny drop moment, when George Martin said, I've welded those two songs together. I brought this one down by 11% and it's just luck. It's now the same key as that one. And wow. now go and listen to Strawberry Fills Forever. It's just after about a minute and the second one is more urgent, right? And you can see when he says, let me take you down because I'm going to, and little cello hits at about a minute, 10 seconds or whatever it is, right? That's the second version of that song. Oh. I'd love to have been a fly on the wow. wall there. There's something know? amazing about the keyboard in that as well. I can't quite remember. Is it something, it's one of the rare musical keyboard instruments or something? Yeah, Mellotron at the beginning that's of it. it. That's it, that's it, that's it. And so Mellotron had tapes inside it. Look at yeah. now. Yeah, and they said they were, they were a pain in the ass to transport transport anywhere because there were loops of tapes eight seconds of tapes of real instruments recordings when you press that button right for a middle c cello or whatever it is um then the tape goes for eight seconds and so the, they really caused a revolution we talk about disruptive technology right because they replaced orchestras and things mm-hmm. like this right so musicians union were up in arms with that came in because they said so they had to fudge that they were using Mellotron so they didn't sort of otherwise they got the union right, right? Yeah. <laughs> off because they said well you've stopped people earning the union rate of 10 shillings for that session sort of thing right yeah but yeah so Mellotron at the beginning of Strawberry Fields that intro is McCartney playing that yeah and then I remember, the, it goes, I remember hearing like watching yeah. it and it was like oh fascinating well, have a, yeah. have a listen. And my second question, which right. there, may, there may be a connection, is if you could meet anybody, who would you who would you meet? Fact fiction still with us may have gone. Well, look, you know, you you you've got to go and meet Jesus, haven't you? Just to see what it was like. In in you know, I go meet Jesus, but I'd like to meet Gandhi as well, and I'd like to meet yeah, you know, let's say George Harrison. But my chosen one is the sixteen-year-old Andy Acton. Oh, really? Yeah, you'd be disappointed. Well, well, I, no, I, I agree. I probably would be, but I, <laughs> I, but I, I'd like to go back and see the young Andy Acton before you became learned. And and but I, I keep you know joking before. aside. Right, <laughs> <laughs> like, keep the jokes in there. <laughs> but joking aside, Andy, when you're hosting the clubhouse, I've told you this, right? You know, when you're hosting your clubhouse, you bring in, and I've talked to this about with Adrian, right, and all our friends, right. You bring in so many quotes. You are obviously such a well-read man, 
So I want to, you know. I've just got loads of quotes. I don't read anything, honestly. I've just got an Instagram page I go to and I spout them off like it, it makes you sound clever. But you always bring them into context. <laughs> so you always bring the quote into context of what you're speaking. So I always learn something from you. So I want, I, you know, before you got, you know, big headed and stuff, you know, I, I want to get to the young Andy Acton. Well, not get to, but, you know. Well, so there there's, a, there's a dinner in there, isn't there, at some point? Another dinner, another dinner in there. At there some there's point. dinner, and there's a compliment in there somewhere as well, Andy. You yeah, know, I'm but, very um, grateful. I'm very yeah, no, grateful. absolutely. So, yes, yeah, so I put you as, you know, I've cast aside Jesus, Gandhi. Wow, look at that. Yeah, Jesus, Gandhi, Philippine, hey? George yeah. Harrison. George Harrison. Hi, George Harrison, basically, he played the ukulele, and I, 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 and I love that instrument, right? If, if everybody was issued a ukulele at the point of your birth, there would be world peace and a hell of a lot of shit music. <laughs> they would. You know, George Formby. Love you. Yeah. George Formby, absolutely. The innuendo king. He would. You know. He would. Yeah. All I can say is a little stick of Blackpool Rock was not about Blackpool Rock. <laughs> so let's leave it on a low, shall we? I think. Um, I think we, well, David, I've, I've had a blast. Started on a low. I've had a blast. It's been fascinating. Yeah. I've really it's been really good, actually. I've really Very enjoyed it. Very entertaining. You've got great stories. Um, and yeah, I'll look forward to see what happens over the next the next 10 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hopefully my retirement. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, guys, thanks cheers, very much. Cheers, David. Cheers, David. Thank yourself. you. Cheers. Ta-da. Thanks. Bye. So that chat with David was fascinating. And for somebody that spent 38 years in the profession on the lab side and working with practices, you know, from going mm. that kind of soft wax through to digital dentistry, He's seen so many changes. I think, well, it was great because it also gives it from the sort of other side. I know, you know, you could say that as he's a lab guy, then there's a vested interest, but there's actually a vested interest in dentists, patients and labs getting it all right. Mm. I think the one that that will push it forward is is consumers. Mm. You know, whenever you've got consumers who want something, that's where terms. the change happens. And I think, the, the, it, you know, the, the dentist who who resists this change is going to be left behind yeah. because that's what cons- consumers say, you know, that's that's why people wanted cheap um, airfares. That's where EasyJet yeah. and Ryanair came yeah. from, you know, cheap cars. That's where, you know, when, when initially that's where the cars came from. I think Japan, when he, when he was talking about projecting out into the future, about you know, scanning booths, yeah, design yeah. centres, who will basically do the designing of what can be done. Yeah. And then effectively you end up with a package that can then be presented, mm. sold to a dentist yeah. to deliver the treatment. And I think perhaps from a dentist's point of view, that might be quite challenging. That in days of old, you know, you would do the, the consult, the planning, the thinking, mm. the design. Whereas actually that, if what David says does become a reality in years to come. That might be taken away from the dentist. Yeah, I think one of the other things that's going to be interesting is legislation. Yeah. Isn't it? You know, because with all this stuff here, you know, whether it's dentures or uh, aligners or whatever, you know, it's going to be quite interesting as to the fact of legally, is that going to be yeah. the thing that, you know, whilst the consumer might want it, do the GDC or whatever say, well, actually, ooh, not too sure. Mm. And it is the danger that that becomes oh, almost yeah. a closed shop because the reason is they want it to be, so as therefore it can't be open. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I thought it's a I fascinating thought, dynamic really, of what could happen, isn't it? A really good conversation. An yeah, intriguing definitely. guy, great stories. It's, um, yeah. it's, it's an episode. I really enjoyed it. it no, good. it's brilliant. It was really good. Really, Thanks. really good. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.